This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study on Deuteronomy, the last words of Moses. As uh, we listen to Moses, as he... Um, places the Torah on our hearts as he is setting up uh, a just and a, a society that reflects the character of God as they're going to enter the Holy Land and uh, we get to see some of his concerns um, about the future and, uh, and some of his blessings upon the people and his admonition uh, even to us uh, several thousand years later. So we'll begin um, in a word of prayer. Brother Neville. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings and your provision to us in so many ways. Lord, we thank you for the technology that enables us to meet together across the world. But above all that, Lord, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in us and amongst us and anointing the words of Aaron as he teaches us. Father, we pray that you'd enlighten our eyes and speak to our hearts the things you want us to hear this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week we finished off um, chapter 15 as we um, discussed that very interesting issue of slavery. And it was in, in conjunction to debt release and uh, then later on with um, what you do with the firstborn animals. Uh, okay, so here is a summary of last week's discussion as, as I had noted it down. So slavery was a common practice in antiquity and is an unfortunate practice that continues to this day, with an estimated 40 million people still suffering at the condition of slavery. The national history of the Jewish people involves being a nation of slaves to the pharaohs of Egypt. With our present-day morality and a total abhorrence of the concept of slaves, we ask the question, why does the Bible not abolish slavery? Interestingly, the first laws given to Israel following the Ten Commandments, that's Exodus 21, concern slaves. Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy all have variant laws concerning slaves. Exodus allows for Hebrews to become slaves, but Deuteronomy does not. Slaves cannot be taken via kidnapping, as that would be breaking the commandment against stealing. Non-Israelite slaves can be acquired from war booty, but predominantly slaves are pressed into service for financial reasons. That is, they have the inability to pay a debt, resulting from bankruptcy, poor financial planning, disasters, and paying restitution from thievery. Leviticus 25 goes so far as to prohibit Hebrews from becoming slaves. Instead, implying the status to indentured servants. Hebrew servants are freed after the 50th year known as the Jubilee. However, in Exodus, the term of a slave is that they serve for six years and only then it's the males that go free. Meanwhile, Leviticus makes no mention of female slaves at all. In the last words of Moses, we find the aging shepherd of Israel acknowledge the existence of female and male Hebrew slaves limits the term to six years, and upon release 
of both males and females, they are given payment so as to enable a period of financial security to the departing slave. Moses ensures that in the future just society that Israel will establish in Canaan, the departing slave will have something to start a new life with. Moses admonishes the people that should they be obedient to God in dealing justly with their slaves, then God will bless them in everything they do. Again, it does seem strange that God would provide a blessing for good treatment of slaves instead of outright abolishment of the practice at all. Slavery in the Bible is not identical to historical slavery in the Gentile world. Slavery often involved violence, kidnapping and forced migration with no financial compensation to the slave who was considered nothing but property in the Gentile world. In sharp contrast to this, biblical slavery most often results from poverty and debt. It actually thus creates a social safety net of a fashion towards indentured service. Moses reminds the people that they were slaves in Egypt. God is compassionate and liberates slaves as part of the national memory of Israel. In mimicking God and his generosity, the slaves of Israel are to be cared for, wives are provided for in some cases, they are released after a short service with a generous payment, and should a relationship develop of love between master and servant, then a choice is allowed for the slave to remain within the household of his master. Paul picks up on this theme of the willing slave when in his epistles he references himself as a slave to Christ and a willing slave to God. The relationship is permanent. As Romans 6 says, we were formerly slaves to sin, but now we are permanent slaves to God. The final paragraph in the chapter deals with the appropriate use of the firstborn animals. The prevailing idea of the firstborn was that it was the best, and therefore belongs to God. The animals are to be offered to the Lord and eaten by the family in the presence of God. Should the firstborn have a defect, then the animal is still consumed, but is not brought before the Lord. The Lord is perfect and thus only unblemished sacrifices can be brought to the temple and sacrificed by an unblemished priesthood. All scripture is God-breathed and good for doctrine. Therefore, in the light of the Messiah, what does this teach God's people? This chapter reminds us of an aspect of our relationship with the Father that we might not often contemplate, that we are indeed slaves. We learn to be tolerant, generous and kind to those that work for and with us, for we also serve a higher master. So that was a summary from our last week's discussion. Hopefully I included everything. And now we're on to a series of festivals. Passover, Shavuot and Tabernacles. Chapter 16, which we will read. Um, I'm reading from uh, the NIV, but it really, really doesn't matter. Although, kind of really liking the ESV, if someone's got one of those versions there around. Okay, so we begin. Observe the month of Aviv 
and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd or the place at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made from yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession, in all your land, for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening, when the sun goes down, on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain and then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place you will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival of the Lord your God in the place that the Lord will choose. The Lord your God will bless you in all of your harvest and in all of the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of the unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and it twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land that the Lord your God has given you. And do not set up any wooden Asherah pole beside the altar you built to the Lord your God. Do not erect a sacred stone. For, the Lord your, for these, the Lord your God hates. Okay. So, on a surface reading, is there anything there that uh, stands out for you as Moses... Yes. He says, yeah, the, the festivals. Go, Roddy. Wow, for the first time, I just saw that. 21. Do not Verse 21. plant any sort of tree as a sacred pole beside the altar. Yeah. Yep. That was um, one of the syn syncretism that the Lord was um, trying to get rid of 
Remember, um, the yeah, one of the, the, sorry? You know what pops in my mind immediately, right? What's that? We bring out the wooden cross and set it right there on the altar. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, Asherah was a god, goddess, actually. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so it, what, what's an interesting, interesting dichotomy in, in, the, in the book of Deuteronomy is God tells the Israelites, you know, don't touch all the nations around you. Yeah? Leave them alone. In fact, he even says, I've given them the sun, the moon, and the stars to worship. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what are you talking about? And then, but then he turns around and says, make sure you wipe out everybody that's in the land. Yeah. And there's this, it's, it's this dichotomy like, wait, wait a second. Everybody else around, don't touch them. But the ones that are in the land, wipe them out. And, and he especially pays attention to their gods, in particular, this, this fertility god, um, Asherah, uh, who, who had uh, wooden images um, all over the place and ended up becoming, unfortunately, the consort uh, of, uh, of, of God, the queen of heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and here again, and, and you see it, you know, he, he's really getting, make sure you get rid of this form of idolatry. Everybody else outside the land can do their stuff, but I don't want you to be enticed by this. It's a very interesting little dichotomy that we see in, in, in Deuteronomy. This sort of um, be very nice to the people around you, just don't be very nice to the people that are inside the land. Yeah, for good reasons. For good, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's, uh, that's true. Yeah. Wow, thank you. All right. Anything else about these festivals that are mentioned here? It, it strikes me that he, he deliberately only chooses the three big ones and misses right. out and um, assumes that the other details are already known. For example, when it says um, in verse um, in nine, it says you count seven, count off seven weeks yep. from the time that the sickle is first put to the standing grain. So which grain is that? Yes, that's right. Doesn't actually say. Yeah. It's assuming a knowledge of, of other information, which is elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So is this why um, Shavuot Pentecost is, uh, has been argued over in five different ways to figure out when, the, when it is? Yeah. Uh, oh, we, yeah. It's, it's put a different way in the, in the other books. It's Actually, first, yeah, we're going to we're hopefully going to read a piece of um, Bible tonight in Numbers, which which actually says you're allowed to change the date of Passover. What? Hold on. Yeah, I know. There are some very, as I was studying this, I came across some very interesting verses, and I really had to double check to make sure I wasn't going to say anything silly uh, tonight. But but um, it's true. And we'll have a look at it as, as we go along because Moses is doing some interesting things. Neville just pointed out a very interesting fact. Yep. Moses is not just reiterating what's in Leviticus 23. He's missing a huge number of festivals and he's concentrating only on the three big ones. Okay? The, what, we, what we call you know, the pilgrim festivals, the ones where you physically have to show up uh, in Jerusalem. And, um, and these are all, um, these are all agricultural festivals, mm -hmm. right? They all rally around um, the, the agricultural cycle as some of the other mm -hmm. festivals do not. 
What's the first festival mentioned in Leviticus 23? I'm sure you guys know. After the Sabbath, the Passover. That's right, the Sabbath. The Sabbath shows up, and the Sabbath has got nothing to do with agricultural uh, cycle. But these... Sorry, um, but there's also the Feast of First Fruits, you know, the, the ancient one, yeah. which doesn't, it doesn't figure, and it never figures in anything modern now, I notice. Yeah. But it's there in Leviticus, isn't it? Sorry, I interrupted you, but it's immediately after Passover because does, for the, yeah. the offering the of the barley. Is, is correct, and, and we've got to ask the question, what is Moses doing? He's not talking about First Fruits. He's not talking about Shabbat. He's not talking about these other ones. But there's something about these three that he turns around and says, guys, I need you to, to mark this on your calendar. Um, and so we'll, we'll I, uh, what he says. To yeah, me, it's down south that. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, sister. Um, yeah, just one thing that I guess uh, caught my attention in Leviticus. Of course, I think Neville had mentioned this, but in Leviticus 23, he says, Moedi. These are my uh, appointed times. Yes. And he doesn't talk about that, and in, in, it's just he talks in a sense more, you know, in, 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 generically, I would say. But he, in, in Leviticus, he, he just says, these are my appointed times. So yes, Leviticus gets like, very you know, personal with God. Here, Moses doesn't do that. Um, exactly why? I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, uh, so I'm here with my pencil. So I'm hoping that, you know, the Spirit speaks to one of you guys and then I'm going to plagiarize that for the next notes uh, coming up. In, in verse 15, it does says that those are the feasts of Jehovah. Right. So it puts it in, in, the, in the personal pronoun of his as opposed to these are my appointed feasts, which is in Leviticus. We'll, we'll have a look at Leviticus. In yeah, yeah, third person. Yeah. But for me, what stood out was the first verse. It doesn't say that that is the beginning of the year. Hey. As, it, as it says in Exodus. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. I didn't Well, in one that. part in Exodus, there's another part in Exodus that is, is pretty much like this. Uh, yes, Exodus 12. Exodus 12 is where you get um, the Lord saying, uh, this is the first of your months and, it's, and the first of your years. And it's the month of Aviv. Here, it's just the month of Aviv. doesn't give it an, uh, a number, numerical um, value. Okay, yeah, and then also, uh, yeah, also about observing, like, uh, I don't, or don't recall him saying in that, in that sense to, you know, Shamor to, to, to uh, observe, maybe in Leviticus. I don't know. That's another uh, observation. <laughs> I say Shemur here. Shemur and Chodesh Aviv. So observe the month of Aviv. Right. I don't know. Does he have that in, in, in Leviticus 23? Another. Okay. I'll look at Yeah. Aaron? Yeah. I would argue that uh, these three. Yeah. Um, all concern the Messiah in some way. Okay. All right. Now that's an interesting thought that Moses is deliberately mentioning these three uh, pilgrim festivals because there's something talking about the coming uh, redeemer could be could be there and in return okay. but Aaron, if, if it is talking about the messiah and okay. we've got these three key feasts we know within the first feast and the last feast there's three feasts within those yes so and we notice the lord jesus in the part which he represents the passover with his crucifixion sure. the first fruits 
you know, all of those feasts associated with that Passover, those three, happen very quickly. And the same way with the last of the tabernacle, we kind of know it's about his second coming. We know that those three feasts with the harvest and all that associated with that is about his second coming, which will happen very quickly as well. Yep. Yep. Could be. Absolutely. Could be. That is the reason why these ones are, are, are pointed out. Very good. Yeah. And then Aaron, yeah, it's, I guess one is the uh, observing is the shamor and the other one is to proclaim. So it's just a little bit different verbi verbiage there. <laughs> is that who cross, is it? Is that what they say? It's, uh, let's see here. It says, you shall, let's see. I, was just, I just had my finger on it. Mm. Hold on. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, yeah, that's Shikra. Yeah, that, that one. Yeah. Wait. All right. So let's have a look at um, just the first sentence, which is, um, so Bernardo's pointed out, it doesn't actually mention this is the first of the month because, you know, let's, let's face two weeks from now, we're going to have Rosh Hashanah. Okay. <laughs> you know, and um, which is a very interesting concept of which really is the first of the year. But here, observe the month of Aviv. Okay. So what do we call it today? Nisan. Nisan. Why do we call it Nisan? So is Nisan the, the Babylonian name? Babylon. Yep. All, all calendar months currently in the Jewish calendar uh, are named after Babylonian gods. Okay. The, our own, there are only four months in the Bible that actually are named. Most months just are named after their position in the calendar, okay? So in Exodus, uh, you get the first month of Aviv, okay? Uh, in 1 Kings 6, it describes the second month and it calls it Ziv, but today it's called Ayah. And then in 2 Kings 8, the seventh month is Itanim, it's actually given a name, but today we call that Tishrei. And uh, the eight in the in First Kings six thirty eight, it says the eighth month of your calendar year is called Bul, but today it's called Heshvan. Um, so we we only have four months in the Bible that ha are given names. We don't know what the other names of the months ever were. Here's what we do know: is that all the calendar months that we today have in the Jewish calendar are all named after Babylonian gods, um, and they 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 admit that they say that when they came out of Babylon, they took the the names of their calendar, and they didn't bother to change it. And so we, that's just the way it is, guys. Um, and to let you know, no one is hung up about it, except maybe a few Christians. But most rabbis, no, seriously, most rabbis really couldn't care. They just go, okay, cool, we don't care. Um, and, 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 and think about the names that we have on our week. Like in the Bible, it's just day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six days, and Shabbat. Uh, nowadays, we name them Sunday, the day we went out and worshipped the sun. Moon day, we went out and worshipped the moon. Woden's day, Thor's day, you know, Phrygia day, Saturn's day. You know, we've got all these great names of gods, but no one actually physically runs out and worships the moon on Monday. Uh, if you do, then please stay afterwards and we'll have a little talk. Okay? Um, but, but we don't. We, they, we just, they're just names. Um, what's in it's name? interesting. In Brazil, in Brazil, we have day one, day two, day three, and then Sabbath, 
and then Sunday. It's interesting. It? Yeah. Today is Quarta-feira, uh, day four. Okay. Yeah. Um, right, so Aaron, before we go further, so Aviv in Exodus is the first month, but that's Perfect. given once they're at Sinai. So this order, this order of events, you, you kill a lamb, the, they're still in slavery. It's going to be the night of the Passover. You kill the lamb, you put the blood on the door. God saves them, and they leave. And where do they spend that first night? What's the name of the town? Sukkot. That's where he begins to tabernacle with them. The fire will show up, and he will lead them into the desert. And then once he says, okay, Moses, they're, they're all of one mindset, ask them, will they agree? Then you have the Shavuot, the, the giving of his instructions, where about 3,000 died. So we have this, this process of the Pesach, the salvation, the blood, Sukkot, the tabernacling, and then Shavuot, Pentecost. And then he says, okay, this is the first month. And you begin a new time period, I suppose, if you were dispensationalist with God. Uh, yeah. So in, in Exodus 12, let's have a little read to that. Okay. If you have a look at Exodus 12, um, verse 1, it says, The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, okay, it doesn't always put them both together, but it does this time. Right? Sometimes it usually says, The Lord says to Moses, Go tell Aaron. Uh, to go do something, like to go do the, the ironic benediction. Why God couldn't just say to Aaron personally. But here, you've got them both. Most likely in, in the tabernacle, okay, uh, or wherever they are. And uh, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron in Egypt. So they're still in uh, a pagan land. This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. Okay? So Aviv is the, the, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community that on the 10th day of this month, each man takes a lamb for his family, for each of his household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they've got to share it with their neighbors, etc., etc., etc. In verse 5, the animals you choose must be a year old without a defect. And you may take them from the sheep and the goats. And then you have to bring them into your house. So the Corban Pesach, the animal sacrifice that you see, what is it not? It's not the firstborn. Mm. We dealt with the firstborn last chapter. I know, I know, we often confuse, we often take the firstborn sacrifice and we somehow have managed to assume it as the Pesach sacrifice is definitely the firstborn. It's already a year old. It is without a blemish. It is a male. That is true. It can be from the sheep or the goats. doesn't matter. But it doesn't say that it has to be the firstborn. Okay? The firstborn never work. That's what we see in last chapter, right? Firstborn get eaten. Only in Jerusalem, unless they've got a small physical problem, you still eat them anyway. You just can't do it anywhere near God. Okay? So it's a very interesting thing. But, uh, but, but the, the, the rules for the lamb okay, in, in, uh, in Exodus, they, they, um, 
are different. Let's have a little read of Leviticus 23, which is where we find the, the, other, the, the list of the sacred times. Time very special to God. Okay. And so uh, the appointed festivals of the Lord. This is where in verse 23, uh, cha sorry, chapter 23, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, okay, so Aaron's, uh, he's having a break. Uh, once you get into verse 4, it says, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, okay? The sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the month. On the 15th day of the month, the Lord's Festival Unleavened Bread begins. And for seven days, you must, be, you must eat bread made without yeast. This is the Chag uh, Matzot. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. Don't do any work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. What's not listed there? What's not mentioned? The sacrifice. Okay, don't mention any sacrifice at all. Right? Um, once you get into Leviticus, you get the calendar, but you get none of the details. And when you get to Exodus, you definitely know that it's going to be a male, and because we've got all these special rules about take putting the blood and putting on the doorpost. What's the, uh, an element of, of pa Passover that is not mentioned in any of the Torah? The egg. <laughs> okay, an egg, yes. There's no egg. Very good. <laughs> what else is that for Elijah? Sorry? The fourth cup for Elijah? No wine at all is mentioned, Roddy. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We don't want to talk about this. Okay, we're stopping this recording right now. It, it's true. There is no wine mentioned in the Torah about the festival of, of Pesach. That is a tradition that has developed. I'm not going to say it's a bad one, but it is an interesting one. Okay? Because you have, in connection with Pesach, what is it you have to get rid of out of your house? Chametz. Chametz. You've got to get rid of chametz. Okay, what is chametz? It's, 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 it's sourdough. Lemon. Sourdough. <laughs> yeah. Bernardo, you're nearly right there, mate. It's a no, really, really, I'm not joking. Yep. It's from a grain, but it is not a grain. Chametz is not a grain. It is a biological uh, product from fermentation. Okay. Um, by the way, so is wine. What is most interesting is the rule is get rid of all chametz, yet wine is a fermented drink. Aaron, so, but, but because the thing about fermentation in, or, or what is called yeast in wine is not the same process as the grains go through when you make the, the sourdough starter. That is correct. And so, that takes time. So they were eating in a haste and all that. So it, yeah. it, it didn't, they didn't have the time to ferment the bread. <laughs> yeah, dang it. Otherwise, it would have been a really good night. Um, the, it's true. The rules for chametz, what is actually kosher and not kosher, have now become so convoluted and so way off base and being 
that um, I think essentially they've lost the plot. Okay. Um, so I went into a shop the other day, uh, or when my daughter had a birthday, so back in April, and I wanted to buy her a balloon, you know, um, helium balloons. So I went into a shop that sells helium balloons. No food at all. And when I went up to the counter, there was a rabbinical certificate saying that there's, you know, we've clean, looked around this place, there's no chametz in this shop. And I looked around at what the guy was selling. There was absolutely no way that chametz is going to appear on plastic, right? It's just not going to ferment. And I asked him, he was a secular Jewish guy, what is this? And he was like, look, some rabbi comes in, I have to pay him a couple of hundred shekels. Uh, otherwise, he won't give me my kosher certificate. How can it possibly be kosher? You sell plastic balloons. Right? You don't sell food. You don't sell milk. Milk. You don't sell meat. You have nothing to do with animal products. Um, you, you've got petroleum products in your in your shop. Um, it, it's it's gone a little off beam. But in in the in the descriptions in the Bible on Passover, we don't mention. We often don't mention the sacrifice. And we certainly don't mention wine. But Aaron, that is so interesting because at you know when at uh, at communion when the Lord He says you know uh, He takes the the fruit of the vine, <laughs> He takes the bread, He breaks the bread, and He you know He says uh, you won't you know drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I you know so it, it was actually Pesach, but Pesach, but, Pesach and so Pesach is He's got bread and unleavened bread and he's got wine and he makes no uh, moral judgment on any of it. Yeshua is living within a tradition. He's very comfortable with that. He's okay with formulated prayers being created and he works within that. And that's Aaron, great. Aaron, surely, surely what's happening here is a little bit beyond tradition. The Yeshua is actually authenticating a process here with the wine Somehow he's bringing in uh, Melchizedek into this process, which wasn't there before. So surely the wine comes in because Yeshua is bringing it in somehow. That's a very interesting thing you said, David, about Melchizedek. Um, I was at Qumran on Friday. Oh, sorry, on Monday, actually. And, um, and I was reading some of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, there on site uh, about their discussion about Melchizedek and stuff. So... In Jewish tradition, I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls are Jews. They're, they are Jews, so they're also a Jewish tradition. So it's, it's In modern rabbinic Judaism, let's say it that way, uh, Passover and Shabbat and many other Jewish festivals, um, the, the way you pre uh, present the elements are in an order. And what's the order? Wine first, bread second. At the, at the community in Qumran, when they would meet for a, uh, a meal, it says, first we break bread, then we taste wine. So they do bread wine. When you come to a Christian communion service, what's the order? Bread wine. Bread wine. Now, why are Qumran doing the same thing that the Christians are doing? Or why are the Christians doing the same thing as the Qumran people are? Um, uh, what's the deal? And you hit the nail on the head, David, when you mentioned the name Melchizedek. Melchizedek meets Abraham in Genesis 14, and when he brings out the elements, what order are they? Bread and wine. Bread yes, 
bread and wine. Now, the, the Dead Sea community are disgruntled priests. They were the, the real priests, the actual B'nai Tzadok. The Maccabees had come along and removed them and supplanted the priesthood with their own families, completely illegitimate. They run to the peripheries of society, not just the desert down in, uh, in the south, but also to places in the north and also to the Egyptian border. And, uh, and they begin to uh, produce their communities and their writings and their discussions. And, and they, they, uh, they, they go back, they say, the priesthood in Jerusalem is corrupt. We need a better priesthood. What's the best priesthood we can go for in the Bible? It's the order of Melchizedek. And how did Melchizedek approach his, his table? He approached it with bread and wine. And so you find that the Qumran community are doing the same thing. And in the Christian church, now this is only traditional ones, not, not the, the, the non-traditional ones, those that do altars and communion services, the reason why they do bread wine is because they're officiating in the order of Melchizedek. So interesting. Wow. Get from Hebrews, okay? And so they deliberately, it's not anything anti-Jewish. In fact, it's a very Jewish thing because other Jews are also doing it. They're doing it from the source of Melchizedek, not from uh, something else, okay? Um, and but then why do the Jews do the, the wine and then the bread? It's only if the bread is covered. The bread is not covered, it changes everything. Mm. What do you mean, Roddy? Well, then you're going to have to bless everything from the forks to the table to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a rabbinic uh, injunction. It's modern. It's got nothing to do with... It's, a, it's, a, it's another tradition that they've added on top of other traditions. But the reason why Shabbat is wine bread, you know, I can't actually tell you. I don't 100% know. But we do know that at the time of Yeshua... Many of the festivals, including Shabbat, and you see in Passover, because he's doing it, you have, you have wine bread. And you sure does it too. So, Bernardo, you got your hand raised? Yeah. Well, for me, um, some of the questions I go through when yeah. I think about Pesach yeah. is first, they were slaves. So, I'm really not even sure if they were allowed or they could drink wine secondly as you had mentioned was that that beer that they that they drank right yep they most they probably drank a, a, a beer bread yep and and so that that drink also has hamets in a way it's also fermented that's that's true yep and that and that is not forbidden in the pesach meal that is correct so yeah, that, that that's just some of the yep. of the considerations I think of. Yep. The 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 traditions around Passover and Shabbat and communion and all the other things um, evolve over time. And for example, if you actually read Deuteronomy, and we will, let's try and figure out who can and cannot celebrate Passover. Let's have a look. So observe the month of Aviv or Nisan, whatever you want to call it. Okay? Biblically, it's called Aviv, but who, who, who really honestly worries about it? And celebrate Pesach, right, to the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Okay? So throws that in there. 
there's a, a time a time passage of his of his rescue. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock. Okay, doesn't say firstborn uh, uh, or herd. Okay, sheep or goats. Uh, at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. So how was the first Passover uh, sacrifice? Where was the animal sacrificed? In the home. Sir. Correct. Is in your private home. But Aaron, this is what I find very interesting about the Passover, actual Passover, and when we read the feast, because it seems to be quite a few differences. Yes, there um, is. For example, as you say, they... You've got to eat it in your house in the actual Passover, and yep. you eat it and then go to your tents afterwards in the place of Lord Jesus. And then also they don't do the blood on the doorposts. No. And if I'm right, they boil it in the Passover and they have to roast it in the feasts. So it, I don't know if I've really understood it correctly, but there seems to be so many little differences for something the Lord wants you to remember. He's made a lot of changes. <laughs> Yes, you're right. They're absolutely right. Moses and, and therefore the Lord through Moses is making changes. And that can sometimes cause us as Christians to get nervous because we think God doesn't change, which is true. He does not. Uh, but some of the traditions, they can um, move to other traditions. So, Aaron, to, to add more confusion, if you like. Yeah, yeah go uh, on. Yeah. Ex Exodus chapter 13. Yeah, okay. Adonai says to Moshe, set aside for me all the firstborn. Yes. Whatever is first from the womb, womb among the people of Israel, both humans and animals, belongs to me. And yep. then it goes, remember this day on which you left Egypt. Correct. The blood of slavery. And then he talks about you are leaving today in the month of Aviv. And then he goes, uh, he talks. Yep, that's another one that's adding or subtracting as you like. Yep, so, so remember last week in, in, X, in Deuteronomy 15, he mentioned the same thing. Firstborn all belong to the Lord. Yes? Yep. You can only sacrifice them in Jerusalem. Or... In your own homes. If you can't get them. But this is firstborn yeah. connected with Pesach. 13. It's in the same chapter, but it does not say that these firstborn are the Corban Pesach. Yes. I, I agree, Roddy. It's there. It's very close. Just like chapter 15 and 16 have no chapter breaks. Yeah. And so we often leap together and we put them together, but they're not necessarily inherently so. Yes, so you're right. You can get very complicated. I mean, it's verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yep. So if you have a firstborn that's blemished, according to Deuteronomy 15, where can you offer it? In your own home. So in the, in the first Pesach, the very first one, which was in Egypt, you brought the lamb into your own house and you sacrificed it. So you were your own priest, which is a very interesting concept. Mm. In the blood thing. Then we moved into where he puts his name, the temple only, and then we go back to it way it was the first time. Interesting, isn't it? Yes, Roddy. Because um, in then temple, Moses is saying, make sure you take your Corban Pesach and you take it to Jerusalem. Um, but have a look at Numbers 9. 
Okay. So Numbers 9 describes uh, an event when we celebrate Passover in the desert. So uh, Numbers chapter 9. I'm just going to start um, from the first uh, verse. Probably going to have to read about 14, I think. It's a, it's, a, it's a lengthy bit. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year. So what's the first month? Aviv. Very good. After they came out of Egypt, he said, have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. So, of course, he's going to say that now. It's now the month of Aviv. We've got, once the month of Aviv starts, we've got 14 days to go before Pesach. Celebrated at the appointed time. You know the time, 14th of Aviv, at twilight on the 14th day of this month, in accordance with all the rules and regulations. You've already all got, the rules and regulations. Yes, which you already got from Exodus and Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and make some more stuff up, Moses. That'd be great. Yes. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they did so in the desert of Sinai at twilight on the 14th day of the month. How did they do that? Uh-oh, I know where you're going. Uh, <laughs> not like they sat down with their Haggadahs, you know, they pulled out their freshly minted Haggadahs and they started singing Dayenu, all right? Um, we, we don't know whether they started pouring out cups of wine uh, or roasting eggs, most likely definitely not, Ivan. Um, we, we have no clue. They did it, but we don't know exactly what they did. The well, what's one of the key mandatory rules for eating the Pesach? Yeah, which was very quickly roasted with bitter herbs. But before that, who can eat it? Who's allowed to eat it? Only the circumcised. Exactly. Aaron loves this subject. Yes, I do, because it actually mentions it right here. (laughs) (laughs) The Israelites did everything that just as the Lord commanded Moses. Excellent. Well done, Israel. Okay. Probably about the only time they ever did anything Moses told them. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonial unclean on the account of a dead body. So they had, had buried um, somebody who had died. Okay? That's a good thing. That's actually a mitzvah. Mm. In fact, it's one of the highest mitzvahs. Why? Because the dead body can never pay you back. Mm. You are doing a good deed and you will never get a reward for this. Right? As opposed to you, know, you help somebody and they, they bless you with 10 shekels or something and that's not really what they're supposed to do because um, you're getting a reward. Uh, So they come to Moses and Aaron on the same day, and they said to Moses, we have become unclean because of a dead body. They haven't sinned. Remember, this was one of the issues we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Uncleanliness is not a sin. So, but why, why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Moses answered them, wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Okay, this is, I really like Moses. Every time someone comes and asks him a question, he goes, hang 10, I'll go check God. Right? He, never, he never tries to just make stuff up himself. He runs back in and uh, puts on his little breastplate, does his little whatever he's going to do, and, and talks to the Lord. And then the Lord says to Moses, you know, which I think is great, you know, he never says, oh, come on, Moses, you just make this stuff up. He, God never rebukes him like this. He always gives him the answer to the request. Tell the Israelites, When any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or you're away on a journey, they are still to celebrate the Lord's Passover, but they can do it on the 14th day of the second month. Mm. So what can you do to Passover? Change it. You can move it. 
And you think, hang on a second, are you nuts, Aaron? No, I'm just reading uh, what God said. Um, in fact, even to this day, when Passover falls on a Sabbath, guess what you do? You move it. You move Passover. The Sabbath trumps Passover. Now, why? Because it's the first one in the list in Leviticus 23. Right. So when, so when, 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 and it's happened here in Israel, when the when Passover falls on a Shabbat, they turn it that you will celebrate Passover on the thirteenth of Nisan, not the fourteenth of Nisan, because because um, it falls on on a Shabbat. Here you can move it an entire month. All right, but that, uh, they are to eat the lamb together with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. So we have a small little. Uh, uh, liturgy beginning already. We've got a lamb, we've got unleavened bread, and we've got bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of, of its bones. So they follow all the same rules as, as it's a real regular Passover. It's just one month later. Then uh, when they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if anyone who is ceremonially uh, clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, they must be cut off from their people for not presenting the Lord's offering at the appointed time. But Aaron, surely what's what's been said here is that even though they can change Passover, there there is a there are there are conditions attached to that. Correct. Yes, you don't just change Passover because you feel like it. There there are reasons why you do so. But it is interesting. Do you not think that uh, God is he's he's very amenable to a human situation? He's a human who has had to bury dad or bury a brother, bury his wife, okay? And, and he says, you know, I, I, I can't actually do what I'm supposed to do. What am I going to do now? And the Lord says, it's okay. Celebrate it one, one more month from now. It's, it's all right. Get through your uncleanliness thing, and then you and me are going to have a great Passover together. And, uh, I like that concept of God being amenable because in the Amazon we have well we lived in the we lived in the Amazon for a while and um, I know when some of the brothers would go up to the indigenous communities and they didn't have um, bread or wine they would just like take you know whatever fruit they had or they'd take manioc flour or and it's just the Lord would not give us a command that in the sense of the elements of the things that we could not keep. You know he's 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 flexible in that sense, uh, where they don't have those elements, and so would that make them unworthy to be able to you know take the Lord's supper? So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I think Lord Jesus summed it up when he said the Sabbath was not made for man. Uh, the other way around, but man for the Sabbath. <laughs> not, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made for man, not yeah, not man. For <laughs> yes. And, and, it is, and that's why I think when it comes down to that, that sort of question, um, you know, can Gentiles celebrate Passover, you know, the sort of uh, all the festivals? Remember, you know, man, not man for festivals, festivals for man. And uh, that's, a, that's a good concept, uh, Vida, to think about. All right. Yes, also one thing, Aaron, on um, if Gentiles could celebrate uh, Passover and other um, of the feast. Um, just like um, Adonai introduced the feasts in Leviticus, he said, these are my feasts. And, um, you know, over the years, we have um, attributed it as the Jewish feast. Um, but, you know, throughout the book of um, Leviticus 23, 
a continue to use that same emphasis. These are my appointed fees. These are appointed fees. And so That's we right. should take it in that wise, yeah. Then also, then also to add to the concept of the bread and the wine, like the, the, the bread and the wine is always um, representing death and resurrection. And if we see it in the, in, in the time of Joseph and the dream he had in the, in the prison, you could see that the, the baker and the cup bearer were represented the bread and the wine. And you see that the, the baker was the one that was hanged, which was death, and the wine where the person was restored. And so it represents death and resurrection. And so when we see it in the life of um, Abraham, Abraham has gone into war, which is death, and he has come out safely, which was resurrection. And um, also we see it uh, later on uh, in the scripture. So it's a very powerful. Um, oh, yeah. That, that'll preach. That, that, that's mm. next Sunday's sermon right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But, All right. Aaron, you're not going to leave chapter 9, are you? Uh, no, I've still got my finger on it, brother. Okay, I'm waiting for you to get there. <laughs> okay, buddy, I shall I shall proceed. No, 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 no. Just... So, what does it say okay. in the next verse? A foreigner residing hey. among you is to do what? Observe if he wants to. Correct is also to observe the Lord's Passover in accordance with its rules and regulations. Well, what rules and regulations? <laughs> You must have the same regulations for both the foreigner and the native-born. All right, then? So what are they? You know it, Roddy. What is it, buddy? Uh, you mean the big one? Yeah, the big one. Go on. You're supposed to be circumcised. That's correct. Because it says in Leviticus, eh, sorry, in Exodus 12, uh, verse 48, a foreigner residing amongst you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. And then he may take part in the, uh, like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. So you've got this rule that uh, 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 it's, got to, it's got to do with circumcision. Um, and, we'll, and we'll get to that topic in, in just a minute because um, we've got to ask ourselves, what does circumcision got to do with Passover? And if if a Gentile gets circumcised, has he now actually become Jewish? Or has he just gotten circumcised? And is he still treated as a foreigner? In which case, he's not a foreigner celebrating Passover. He's now actually a Jewish guy. Um, okay. So, back to Moses. Oh, sorry. Yep, Sharon, go. Sorry. Um, so my neighbor is actually a, a local, we, I live in Quebec in Canada, and she's a Catholic, and she listens to a lot of stuff online and on TV, but she doesn't attend her local Catholic church. And because of all her reading on her own, she thinks she should celebrate the Sabbath instead of kind of the Lord's Day of what a lot of Protestant Christians do in North, like in Canada and North America. So what about that? Uh, because sorry, what, female that's not that's celebrating kind of the Jewish Sabbath because it's the real Sabbath. Right. So the Sabbath is the Sabbath, and okay. Sunday is Sunday, and you can call it the Lord's Day or you know the day on which He was resurrected, which is true. Motzei Shabbat. It's next the next day, um, and there's no there's no difference in saying you know this is the day that the Lord resurrected, but the other day is still Shabbat. You can't actually turn the Sunday into a Sabbath. 
However, in the temple, let's also remember this. When we had the temple, and we had to actually had the tabernacle, which day of the week did we worship the Lord? Every day. So this sort of idea that you can only worship the Lord on Shabbat is actually not a biblical one. I actually worship the Lord any day, which is the reason why Paul in the New Testament says exactly that. He goes, I don't care what day of the week you choose to worship the Lord, just pick one. But what he doesn't do is he, say, he doesn't say turn the Sabbath into a, into a Sunday or a Monday or a, or a Tuesday. Um, yeah, I guess what she means by that is she does no work and she like correct. a Sabbath in that sense. But because she's not Jewish, like we've just had different discussions, like she's not Jewish and she hasn't yeah. been circumcised or had relatives circumcised in her house. Or yeah. Well, we do the same. We, we love the Shabbat. The Shabbat's the best day of the week. And there is an absolute blessing in um, having a rest and resting on the Shabbat. And guess what we do on Sunday as well? We get up and worship the Lord. And I'm going to give you a little hint. There's, there's a few messianics in this country doing exactly the same thing. I'll tell you the reason why. Because um, on Shabbat, when most messianics in Israel would go and actually worship, they get up uh, and they get all the kids together and they, and they drive because they got a, it's a big country, a uh, big city, and they drive to, and to where they're going to, to go to community. Um, and they worship for several hours because messianic services never short they're always like three hours long uh and then afterwards you have some fellowship time some coffee time you know a bit of a falafel time by the time you get home you suddenly discover it's three o'clock in the afternoon now you're dog tired what have you actually done on your day of rest what? not what? rest and so you are actually finding more and more messianics resting on the sabbath and going to worship god the next day it works. Yeah. And, they, and, they, they, and that's the thing. And, and, you, and you start to scratch your head and you go, I bet that's what happened in the early community. They were resting on Shabbat, which was honoring the Shabbat. It does not say go worship the Lord. You actually worship the Lord every day of the week. Okay? Uh, it does say keep it holy. Correct. Yep. Mary, Mary, so just, just a thought. Yeah, yeah. But Mary, if you worship God on a Sunday, is that keeping that day holy too? So in the temple, you worship God 24-7. But Mary Magdalene only yes. went to see the grave on the first day. She waited, she rested on the Sabbath, and then... She rested, she had to. She, 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 she would yeah. not desecrate the Shabbat to do... To but, 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 but Aaron, if we look at um, in the New Testament, every it's always said about Yeshua that as his manner was, he always go to the... Um, synagogue on the Shabbat, so people people congregate. So it was usual for people to move around, congregate in Absolutely. In, in places, and have the Shabbat. So um, moving was part of um, you know having to move yourself from one place to another, at least to have a okay. congregation was part of the Shabbat and also part of the rest. Absolutely, and, yeah. But, but but now now if we talk about keeping the day holy, surely now that Yeshua has been and is coming again, we are now. Uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit, so He's the one who keeps us holy. So every moment of every day seems to be holy, right? So, well, you still have the command of keeping the day holy, and how you do it, yeah. it's, it's something that you do. But and, how uh, do you keep? How do you keep it holy? That's the question. Before because you get that, to that question, David, first that, thing is <laughs> we all got just just look in Genesis chapter two, verse one, two, three. Mm. Who? What does God say? God says. 
this day is holy. He set yeah. it aside and said it's holy. But wait a second. I, I want to ask the Christian audience, who's speaking on day seven? Yeah, how do we know? Uh, I would argue you look in the Gospel of John, chapter, ver chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning is the Word, the Word is with him, and the Word was God. Yeshua says on day 7, I declare this day holy. Yeah, there no, is no, no one's arguing there's no, that. There's no, no command. That's holy. He, doesn't, he doesn't tell anyone to do anything. He doesn't tell anyone not to do something. That's correct. He simply says this day is holy. Correct. So for people who like the Sabbath, don't go to the commandment. Let's look and see, would you follow what Yeshua said is holy for him? Yeah. And I'd recommend, yes. Now, how do you keep it holy? Ask between you and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Not, it's not yeah. a commandment thing. It's, a, it's just doing something that Yeshua said was holy. Yes, but it is a commandment in, in, in Exodus 20. That's, that's, yeah, that's another issue. That's where it, you it's, see. It's, it's a commandment. And yeah. also, if we look in um, Isaiah, in Isaiah, uh, I think, 36, um, it kind of describes how, yeah, how you should keep the, the, the Sabbath. And yeah. um, if, if, if I just go in there briefly, you will see that it says you should desist from doing your own pleasure and, yeah. you know, turn to the pleasure of God. And what is, I mean, these things you usually you would have done to earn your money and to do your wages. And of course, you could, that is what you are advised to keep away from. Of course, like what Yeshua said, um, when you talk about emergencies, security, things that to do with life, uh, you need to deal with them. In, in, in other words, if somebody's going to deliver a baby on Shabbat day, the doctor cannot say that, ah, no, it's Shabbat, I cannot um, take a delivery of baby. You know, even if a, if a ship falls into a well, Yeshua say that uh, even in the, you are permitted to go and rescue the ship. That's correct. A person. So they, it, it talks about a lot of things that you could desist from. And um, if you honor the day, you should put it that that day it's, um, it's set apart um, because the word kadosh is there. It means to set apart. Other days were called day one, day two, day three. But when it got to the seventh day, it says it's a Shabbat. It's a yep. set apart day. It's a different day from the other days. And so that's we right. could honor it that way and look at it in that way. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the, probably the way we should. For example, you could say a prayer on Sunday but the prayer you say on Shabbat might have a different nuance. So it's slightly different than the one you would say on, on Shabbat. So, the, so in Jewish tradition today, we don't know 100% what they were doing 2,000 years ago, but in Jewish tradition today, there are certain prayers you only pray on Shabbat. Right? That you just wait, you wait during the week. You might say prayer every day, but on Shabbat, you'll say this one. And this will have a slight uh, difference to it. Okay. Yeah, and but, the day... The day in the Brit Hadashah, it was never changed. The oh, Sabbath yeah. was never changed to correct. Sunday. That's correct. I think we're all agreeing with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you can worship God on any day because you did in the temple. Um, so back, back to Deuteronomy. Okay. So, and we're still in Passover, which we notice that Moses is doing different things with because he's doing different things with just about everything. Okay. As he's preparing his people uh, for life A without Moses and B, with the struggle of uh, syncretism with all these pagan gods that are around. So he's, he's a, keenly aware of human nature 
that, uh, you know, because Jewish people are humans like everybody else and they're susceptible, we all are, to the, to the entices of, uh, of, the, of the local thing. So here we have, okay, where do you now celebrate Passover? In the desert, where did we celebrate Passover? In the tent. Yeah, exactly. Well done. <laughs> yes. And so, but only if you're circumcised. But what was happening to the Jewish people while they were in the desert? They were not being circumcised. Correct. And so as we begin our little wanderings in the wilderness, something's going wrong. We don't know because they don't tell us. But you get these little hints where you go, Moses is a little concerned about um, what's going on because he's even said it in, in some of the previous chapters. Don't do like what we did in the desert. Right? Um, and and you, you almost beg the question, what? What was it? He didn't want to say. Okay? Um, we do notice that in Joshua, when they first get into Canaan, they circumcise themselves and offer Passover. Um, we do know that they started having Passover in the desert. Not 100% sure how it ended up a generation later with a bunch of uncircumcised uh, males. Um, but now... Once we get into the land, once we actually establish real homes, the thing switches. Now you can't just offer Passover in your own tent whenever you feel like it. Now you have to show up to God in a certain place. Okay. Verse 2. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd, at the place the Lord will choose for his dwelling. Okay. What's the current problem? No temple. Yes. So ever, once we are actually removed from the land, whether by choice, because we're migrating out for business, we're expanding, we're conquering territory, uh, all that wonderful stuff, or negative, we're taken away into captivity, like Daniel, okay? Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you know, all these kinds of uh, different prophets, um, and the temple is destroyed. How do we keep the feast? Because does not Paul say in 1 Corinthians 5, let us keep the feast. He's talking to the Corinthians. Mm. Corinth ain't anywhere near Jerusalem. And so somehow between Deuteronomy 16 and thousands of years later, we have modified this direct command of the Lord. Modified or gone back to the original one? There you go, Roddy. Yes. How can we do something like this? Well done, Roddy. You go, you go back to the original source. Okay. You race back to where we were in Egypt. And, uh, and, and we can offer the Passover in our own homes uh, as a priesthood of all believers. Now, isn't that very interesting? Okay. But for now, Mo Moses is not allowing that. Why do you think that is? I'm going to admit, I don't know. Okay. Um, why do you think he is centralizing these three festivals? 
Um, one of the reasons I think is centralizing the, um, the street festival is that um, they don't want to start having people corrupting the festivals because okay. when people start having different and different versions start um, operating, um, as we saw later on when there was a division within the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, it's, it brought a lot of um, corruption. Um, another reason is that um, it's, they wanted to continue in that community um, because if they, the Lord was the leader, they didn't have a, um, a king like other people. So the binding force for the Jewish people or for the Israelites was God. So the Lord was, they were instructed in the ways of God, they were following the ways of God. And if they break out from that, then they, they will lose that community kind of influence. Okay. Any other ideas but as to why you think we're doing it, doing it this way? Again, I think with Moses, he, he, everything he knew was about, in a sense, Yeshua, because he said at the end, right at the end of this, he's going to say, follow a prophet like unto me. So, again, we can't lose focus that Moses is here keenly trying to keep the Israelites that there is going to be the Messiah. And these feasts are, are a picture of that Messiah to come. So, again, Moses is trying to do everything that will spiritually make them understand about the Messiah when he comes. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Roddy's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Roddy. (laughs) But but it's also... also The prophet doesn't say Messiah. That's true. Yeah. But it's, Uh, it's, it's, it's also to keep that unity as one people, a specific people chosen, the people set apart. You know, he does not want to see it broken. Okay. And one, one addition that this version makes, actually, that this is a, the Living Bible version, so I don't know how accurate this is, but it, it interprets verse 15 as, um, you know, this feast will be held at the sanctuary, which will be located at the place the Lord will designate. It is a time of deep thanksgiving to the Lord for blessing you with a good harvest and in so many other ways. It shall be a time of great joy. So is that an accurate... The, the Living Bible um, is a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the New Living uh, switched and went back to more literal. Um, okay. And like any paraphrase, they're taking the idea and, and putting it in um, words. So, so is that the main purpose? Yeah, it's not an inherently good or a bad thing. It's just, it's just a thing that, that, that paraphrases do. Mm-hmm. Um, most Bibles, even if they are literal, still have paraphrases in them because you just can't literally translate Hebrew into English. It's just not physically possible. If you could do it, you'd only have one version. Um, these right, ancient but is languages, that the gist of those three festivals mainly to be primarily Thanksgiving and a time of great joy? And I guess all the, festivals are that way, eh? Well, the, these three festivals do revolve around agriculture. And... Um, uh, before you would go to a centralized place, you would offer any of your agricultural offerings. Where would you do that? In a temple. No, before you had a temple, where would you do it? At an altar, surely. Yes, that's right. You would, you would build your own close little local shrine. And the Israelites did this. They did this again and again and again, and you see it in the kings. They tear them down, and then a generation later, they're all back again. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a practice that they seem to have adopted from all the surrounding nations, which Moses told them, don't do that. 
but they did it. Um, so, so what Moses is saying is like, don't take your Passover lamb and offer it over there. It'll, it'll, it's, they, they might be sacrificing it to the Lord, eating it in their tents, doing it all correctly, but it's slowly enticing them away from God. They'll begin to think about local gods. Don't do that. Come to me. Come to me in a one central place. Um, is it a picture of Messiah? Absolutely. Does it have, have the, the power of strengthening the community away from uh, uh, religious enticement? Absolutely. Are there going to be other reasons? Absolutely. Um, Aaron, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I know I'm jumping ahead to verse uh, uh, 19 and 20. Yeah. It seems as could Moses also being, be, be making sure that they are going to be obedient so that they can get into the inheritance. Uh, it's got, it's got their, yeah. their behavior, yes, is, is linked to how long they live in the land. Moses yeah. says that many times, do these things and you'll live long. Um, he really does want a just society. He wants the Israelites to be the light to the nations. They need to reflect the character of God in, in every way. They need to be generous. They need to be merciful. They need to be forgiving. They need to, they need to be liberating. They need to be, they need to be doing the release. They need to be doing everything God does um, so that they can reflect to the world, hey, look, this is, this is God. This is, this is the, uh, you want a piece of this action. This is how good God is because look, look, look at our community. Mm. I, I um, noticed because one thing I noticed about Ezekiel, one of the things that the Lord was pretty angry about was that they had dirtied his name, as it were. Yeah. When they went into exile. So, yeah. But it should be reiterated, and because it's already been said probably by uh, Bernardo or Shimshon, these are not Jewish feasts. That's right. In Leviticus 23, God says, these are my holy Convocation. Yes. These are mine. These are his. So we can say Hallelujah. that they're around the uh, the agriculture and everything, but God says they're his. And what I find that the most is to put aside is people forget God says to do what? These horrible times, I want you to stop and have a bad time. He does not. He says, I want you to stop working. I have want you to be with your friends and family congregate for one to eight days and eat and drink and have a joyful time. Yes, it always revolves around joy. It always revolves around community. It always around, revolves around community with God. But we right? turn it into something that is this big, horrible punishment law. Oh That's God. right. We, yes. Yeah, one of the things that after living in Israel for 22 years, you often discover that Jewish people don't walk around miserable. Okay? Right. Um, they're not. Okay, you know they're they're happy, and uh, it's not a burden as we would, as as too many people often think that it is. It is a joyful time. Absolutely right, Roddy. They they have a, a lot of religious meaning, but they are also agrarian festivals. That's also true. So it's it's yes, all old in into one. I want to go back to the thing we didn't quite finish. Okay. Why do you think God requires circumcision and Passover together? It is, I'll give you a hint. It's not explained in the Bible. <laughs> okay. But why do you think? Wake people up. It's not about a physical circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. 
Okay, but okay, it's but that it's, too, but it is also a physical one. It's an in, in it's for the covenant of the land. It's identification the, 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 the land covenant. Okay, circumcision is a sign of what covenant? Abraham. The land. No. God's covenant with the Jews. Abraham. Yes, it's the Abrahamic covenant. But yeah, it, it, but it was for the promised land, right? It, it was a covenant that he made with Abraham for the promised land. Ram. So if, if, a man, if a man is not circumcised, then he will have no inheritance at us. He will, he will not have any land inheritance. So the, the circumcision is a sign of the covenant that God makes with Theobald, which he makes with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He makes with all three. It's every time he comes to each of them, and he keeps reaffirming the covenant. Okay. Um, so yeah, Bernardo, you're, right, you're right on that one. But why do you think when it comes to Pesach, like not any of the other ones, okay, because what is it about Pesach that the other festivals don't have? Liberation. It's liberation from slavery. I have a question because Zipporah, when God had Moses go and liberate the people from Egypt, he had to have his, his child circumcised. And that's the whole, right. that whole, you know, you know, the, 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 uh, the foreskin and the whole deal was she was upset about <laughs> the whole thing. So, as a foreshadow to go and take the, you know, the children of the Avots from slavery uh, and, and pass over, you know, that whole idea of coming out of slavery, circumcision. Okay. I, I agree with what Yvonne's saying because basically to me it's just, again, a shadow type. This is about redemption through Yeshua and okay. not everybody is, will be entitled to that salvation unless they come into Yeshua. The same way nobody can take part of the Passover even the foreigners have to basically be circumcised. So Correct. whoever's partaking has to come into that covenant. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, okay, keep going. What is it about Passover and what is it about circumcision that they actually share in common? They share one element in common. Um, in, the, in the Passover is the, is the admittance into the, the people group of God. God's people. Uh, before you can come into the people of God, that means you have to go through circumcision. And um, that is why for God, this is very important that anyone that must participate in Passover has to be circumcised because when you're circumcised, then you're qualified to even participate in the other ones. It's your kind of your entry level. Um, I, I see it like, um, because even Moses was very explicit when he says that, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we read it um, some weeks ago, that circumcise your heart. This is what the Lord requires of you. So a lot of people think that circumcising of the heart is more of a New Testament concept when Paul was speaking it's, about it's it. Very, it's very Hebrew. But, very. very Hebrew, very, very, very Hebrew, very um, uh, Moses-like kind of um, yeah. interpretation of the word. And so in, the people needed to be changed. They needed to be, have a change of heart to be able to participate in this, not yeah. just going through the motion. Okay, and I'll throw something else out there. If you're circumcised, does that save you? No. Correct. That's right. So just because you're circumcised on the eighth day does not make you a good Jew. It makes you <laughs> a Jew. Um, <laughs> however, guys, there's still one element of circumcision and Passover. They share something in common. One thing. Shedding of blood. Getting it Correct. Yes. Mm. Blood. There is a blood at the at, at circumcision, and there is blood at Pesach. In fact, what did you have to do with your blood at Pesach? Doorposts. 
You put yes, it on the link cell. Put it on your on your on your property. And if you did that, which is obedience, okay, then what happened? The destroyer passed over. The destroyer passes over, and everyone that's inside is saved, right? Just like Rahab in Jericho. Yes, yes, yes. Animals. Everyone inside. So, like the dad, he brings in a lamb. The lamb is there. Everyone feeds it, pats it, plays with it. You know, gets to love it, and then we have to kill it. Okay, we ourselves, and we eat it. We do it all. We put the blood on the doorpost. Not everybody does, just a couple of us, but everybody inside that building is safe. And, um, and so you don't have to eat the Passover lamb to be in the house. You just got to be in the house. Now, if you knew that anybody inside this house is going to be saved from the angel of death, what would you do? Go out. Yeah, get in the house. What else would you do? Bring out the Family and friends, bring them in. Exactly, Roddy. Check, check as the many people as you possibly could to get in your house. Roddy's calling up all his mates. Hey, Shim Sean, I'm having lamb tonight. You really want to come and, and, and have dinner with me. You don't like me, I don't like you. You come into my house. So <laughs> in Jewish tradition, lots of, lots of Egyptians joined Israel and had a meal with them. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, and so and they were saved because that's what God said. If you do this, I pass over. If you don't, I won't. Israel or Egyptian. If an Israelite did not put the blood on his doorpost, guess what happened to him in the morning? He woke up and son was dead. Right. It would that that there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles for this. And 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 for some reason, God links this blood idea as well with the blood that's in Passover when he says you make sure that if you're going to be eating this Passover you've been you've been circumcised uh does that mean now that the guy is going to become more Jewish maybe or if he's just doing it because it's a, a thing we don't 100% know it doesn't say that in the text it just has these things uh that that um this is what you have to do foreigner we want you to spill some blood because we've all been spilling blood and it is the blood that will, will set you free. So, yes, it is presenting a foreshadow. Absolutely. Any one of us is going to be able to see the Messiah in this. At the same time, it also demonstrates obedience. You, you've got to physically put some blood on there. And it also demonstrates uh, an attachment to the house of Israel because you will be joining them in a circumcision. Which is but not about becoming a Jew. Yeah. Or, um, forgive the other point I was going to make. It's about being saved. For that moment in time, it's about salvation. Okay. Literally from death for them. Yes, at that um, moment in time, absolutely. Death. So, so when you get into, the, into the, the New Testament and Paul's writing to the Corinthians, right, and he says, let us keep the feast, we don't know if they got circumcised or not. It's not listed. It's not written down. It is not recorded. Okay. So just as the, uh, the idea of where can I offer my Passover lamb, can I offer it in Jerusalem or can I offer it somewhere else, that changed. So did some of the other rules. Okay? So they, Christians don't celebrate the feasts? No, no one said that. They are the feasts of the Lord and just like any piece of holy time, beneficial for man. Um, 
Paul is talking to Gentiles about keeping Passover, but what he's not saying in that context is you all have to become Jews by getting circumcised. Mm -hmm. Okay, so not about becoming a Jew or the land, because the land's going to go away. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It's about salvation. It's about salvation. No, it but is. I was just curious if Christians celebrate all. So all you have to be circumcised to celebrate all the, all those feasts. No, no. In the Hebrew Bible, yes, but you also had to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Then, when things are taken away, we begin to look back at the original Passover, which was in in Egypt. You, you, sat, you ate the Passover in your house, and it didn't have anything to do with circumcision, right. but you still ate the Passover. And so there, it's a, it's a, I don't know how to describe it other than it's a piece of tension that we learn from. When it, it is, it's a very interesting thing that Moses is doing, and it's a very interesting thing that God has allowed uh, uh, to do, and we learn from it. Um, Another thing, I know it's 8.30, but I really want to keep going just for a couple of more minutes. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. And that, that's, yeah, that's because um, at the end of the Passover, which is one day, another festival starts. What's the festival? Unleavened bread. Yes, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. <laughs> and then it says, you know, you have to get rid of all the leaven. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked the question, I think, about an hour ago, what is leaven? And somebody said, leaven is... Then chametz, right? What what is chametz? Yeast. It's yeast. It's yes, it's a it's a biological fermentation. Okay, that's what it is. All right, um, it's a, it's a natural product. Um, what is it not? It's not seeds or things like that. It's not like wheat or barley. Not grain. Not grain. Yeah. I'm going to read. Um, what do you mean it's not grain? Okay. It's from, but it is not a grain. Is it so? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay I understand. It's, it's, okay. It's a kind of bacteria. Yes. So, like, yeah. I can have a piece of wheat, but it is not chametz. Mm. I've got to do something or allow it to do something for it to become chametz. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, on uh, let's just read Matthew thirteen. Okay. Where um, Yeshua's teaching, and in Matthew uh, Matthew thirteen, you get uh, verse thirty three, um, where it says. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, chametz, that a woman took and mixed with about 60 pounds of flour. That's the actual other part of the grain. Okay, that's grain, grain. Until it worked all through the dough. Okay. That's all the parable talks about. Right, but there's other instances where yeast represents sin, right? Right. But this is a different analogy about the Correct. So here's what you don't say. Chametz is sin. It is not. That's not what it is. That's, that's, become, that's become the standard line in, in, in commentaries and, and churches all over the world. Leaven is sin. No, 
Leaven is leaven. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we use it as a mm -hmm. reference for something bad, but sometimes we use it for something good. Here it's actually used for something good. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's like what we said about the pig, right? Yes. I mean, the animal, it's, it's a good animal. It was created by Yah. But you just can't but eat just it. Just don't eat it. Yeah. Just don't, don't eat it. Yep. Don't so eat the hamets during the feast. BDU. You can learn yeah. from it. We can talk about it. But it itself, as a, as a thing, isn't essentially evil. Because we're going to eat it as soon as, as, soon as um, Passover's over. There's not That's many true. people on the planet who, who eat matzah 24 7. So what you're saying is it's just unclean? No, it's not even that. It's no. just. There, there's, there, we don't 100% know the reason why God says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this, this, this um, unleavened bread thing. The reason for eating unleavened bread is what in the Bible? Well, because it, they were in a rush that time and there wasn't time right. That's it. Right. The Passover. It, it's it's like if you're going to leave in five minutes and you say, have a glass of water, don't have yeah. tea because there's no time to make tea. Exactly, Bernardo. Exactly. Tea's not bad. It's just you can't have it right now. And, and so when you celebrate the Passover, remember, a lot of Jewish stories allow us to become part of the drama. That mm. This is, this is a, one of the blessings of the, of the Seder, of the tradition. You, 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 have, you have this really incredible retelling where you retell the drama of the Exodus. You join in. There's wine, there's bread, and matzah and all that kind of stuff. And everything there is to remind you. And God himself says, you take out the chametz. Why? Well, I need you to remember why you're doing this. Mm -hmm. You've got to make sure that for an entire week of this year, your, your, your kid wakes up one day and says, Dad, I want toast. You can't have it. Why not? We're remembering we were slaves in Egypt. I don't want to remember when I was a slave in Egypt. Well, I really think <laughs> you know? yeah, And Aaron, Aaron's a good opportunity yeah. to share the faith. But and the something very interesting in and of itself is not sin. Mm -hmm. That's something we need to get away from. And we need to just look at it in context and say, hey, man, what am I learning from this? And so you know, Aaron, uh, that's the whole thing about the hummets because at the Feast of Weeks, it's, you're supposed to bake it with the two, sheet, the two loaves with leaven. Yeah. Uh, at the Feast of Weeks. So, that's correct. So it can't possibly be sin because we're eating it other times. Wow. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, so Matthew 13 says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast yeah. that a woman put into the That's Wow. Exactly. And so, you, you, so it's not essentially evil. It's essentially a really good uh, teaching point. And we do it. Just like we discussed, why can't we eat pig? You know, Noah could, we can't. Okay, let's just talk about it. Okay, and learn and, and discuss in and of itself is not essentially an, an, an evil thing. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for holding out on that one. I just want to talk about chametz. Okay. So we covered circumcision and blood and uh, the, the thing about chametz. And I think we managed to get through a bit of the chapter. Excellent. <laughs> All righty. Um, so, so next week uh, we continue on with um, the rest of the festivals. Again, only these three at the, at, uh, at the start. But we'll jump back into Numbers, we'll jump back into Leviticus, and we'll see what it says there, and we'll see what Moses is doing as, um, as he's, he's, he's prepping his people to live in a land, to live in a place where God is dwelling with them, and a centralization of, of religion.
even though at the same time he admits that God is everywhere. Okay? Um, and so it's a, I think Moses is doing a very, very clever job. He's obviously talked with God a lot in the desert. Okay. And, and Aaron, yeah, one, one more thing. And uh, I know Sharon had talked about this. Um, at the end the, the, of the day of the Lord in Zechariah 14, 16, the nations, everyone who survives the nations that have come up against Jerusalem shall yep. go up year after year yes. to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the feast of the booths. So, so the nations that do not go up, no rain. Yep. And so he does talk about, you know, at, after the day of the Lord. Uh, what does Yeshua say on, on, on his last Pesach? He gets a cup of wine. Okay, which is not in the te in the original command. Okay, you just it's just a, uh, an animal you eat. But by now we've got some wine going, which he uses as a symbol. Okay, mm -hmm. excellent use of tradition. And he says, "I will not eat drink of the fruit of the vine until when? Until when I celebrate this in the new kingdom? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Passover we still celebrate yes. too. Yeah. Right. Think about that. Not only do you celebrate Sukkot, but you're also going to celebrate Pesach as well." Right, and so we're going to yeah. keep we're going to keep doing these these reenactments. We're going to keep keep being part of the drama, even when the Messiah is present, literally. Yeah. Aaron, you, we should oh, put God. the caveat in there. What's that, that mate? for for people that are listening? <laughs> all of these things are about relationship and not salvation. Salvation is only through faith in Yeshua. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All of these other things. Are about relationship, maybe in return for what God and Yeshua have done for us. Amen. Yes, very well Amen. said, buddy. Lovely. Amen. Yes. And also to chip this in, um, when Yeshua made the statement of "I will not drink this again with you," Yeshua was taking the Nazarite vow, because when you look at the and the Nazarite vow as um, depicted in, um, I think, it was Leviticus. Um, the Nazarite is not going to take grape yeah. until a certain period. Yeah. And so Yeshua fulfilled the Nazarite vow when he made this. And yeah. you know, a Nazarite, a Nazir is almost like a, a, a priest. When you almost. make the Nazarite vow, you, 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 come, you automatically look like a priest and the person yeah, will function. He his hair out. Yeah, something about these long-haired rock stars that, that they... Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that means, that means yeah. Yeshua hasn't cut his hair for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> Okay, yeah. that's, well. that's, that's going to be pretty wild when he comes back. You know? says, There's the Messiah come back with his golden. That's actually it's going to be interesting. Aaron, you know the, the, why why those three? Who I mean, something interesting. All seven feasts point to Yeshua. All seven. Sure. Uh, why the three? Could those be the three that we'll be celebrating uh, in eternity? Who knows? That's uh, I know we have Sukkot and we have Pesach. Could could we also do Shavuot? You know, um, but they all point to Yeshua. So uh, why the three? Something to to definitely look okay. into. And we, and we should wrestle right. that again next week when we get together and we keep asking ourselves why these ones and not the other ones. Yeah, they they are called the pilgrim feast. Yep. And uh, yeah, because those are the only ones. But one thing that is mentioned there that is almost not possible is that every meal is to appear before the Lord. Yes. And uh, imagine if everybody is going to leave. Um, yeah. I mean, 
it's not just possible. It's just not possible, yes. Again, and maybe we should mention that again. What really is the intention here that Moses is trying to say to his people? Mm -hmm. like, what are they learning? And what is that set up? And we'll talk about that next week, okay, Shimshon? Um, yes, because yes. We, we, didn't, we didn't cover that uh, in, in today's uh, thing. No, no, we didn't cover that in today's yeah. reading. All right, yeah. great, good. All right, gentlemen. Much, Aaron, great, great job. Uh, have a good yeah. time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.